Now on RTE Radio 1, Arts Tonight, presented by Vincent Woods. Hello and welcome. On this evening's Arts Tonight, the Centre Culturel Irlandais, a look at Ireland's home abroad in Paris, Centre of Irish Culture and the Arts, as it recently hosted an evening in Dublin, which brought together artists who've contributed to its artistic programme since it was set up in 2002. The Irish College in Paris has a history stretching back almost 450 years. Thousands of students have passed through its doors and it continues to be a unique example of the variety and depth of Franco-Irish relations. Since its more recent manifestation as the Centre Culturel Irlandais in 2002, it has hosted performances, exhibitions and recitals across the art forms, as well as welcoming artists as residents, giving them time to concentrate on making new work. Recently in Dublin, its current director, Nora Hickey-Mashaley, hosted an event bringing together many of those who've performed, had work exhibited there, and others who have stayed there as part of the Artist Residency Programme. Arts Tonight met up with some of those artists, including Fiona Murray, a visual artist who was on the first residency programme back in 2002. I didn't have any particular project in mind when I went, but I remember bringing paper with me, you know, because I didn't want to bring canvases and things like that. I worked very quickly, actually, in the studio down in the courtyard with acrylic, responded really to the city that I could step out into every day. Uh, It was just amazing to be able to wake up in the morning in the wonderful room I had up in the roof with the wooden rafters to think, what am I going to do today? Where am I going to go today? And, And I think I remember Helen saying, Helen being the first director, the piece of work that I gave her had a lot of pink in it and we were saying that Paris would always be pink. Yeah, for for me, you know. And there is a particular light in Paris that is a sort of lovely, soft, watery pink, you know. That time I think I was living outside of Galway. Um, It was great to be back in the city because I come from London and I've been living in Ireland since 95, actually, Belfast, then Galway. It was an opportunity to reconnect with city life but Paris is a very different city from London at one point when I was uh, up in the uh, Pompidou Centre at night time looking at Sacré-Cœur on one side and there was a massive thunderstorm or something but I remember just thinking that Paris almost seemed like a village to me you know very different different city from London Well, I'm Michael O'Loughlin, poet who had a residency last year, it was a fantastic experience and like every every European has two native homes, the place, the city he's born in, and Paris. It's an incredible privilege for Ireland to have this amazing complex. Last year when I was there, there were people coming from the American embassy and from the British Council looking around thinking, this is incredible. We have two rooms over a supermarket. You guys have a complex, a compound. It says something about the relationship between France and Ireland that we have this place. So many of our best artists and writers have gone there on residencies and they've absorbed the Parisian life, they've become part of it and it works the other way, we have a lot of French people here tonight and it's so important that Ireland and France have this relationship uh, I, had a, I had a whole plan of work when I went there to work on troubadour poetry 
But when I got there, I found myself becoming very interested in South American poets who had lived in the neighborhood in the 20s and 30s, like Cesar Vallejo. So instead of actually translating French poetry, I ended up reading Spanish poetry from the 1930s written by people who had lived in the same area. And see, that's the special thing about Paris. That's the special thing about a city, a big city. It comes at you from different angles. It gives you more than you bring to it. But Paris is the ultimate big city in that sense. Because for the last 200 years, it's been the haven for refugees, for political exiles, who have all brought their own worlds there. And I don't quite know how this works, but it seems to add up to this big source of inspiration that's always there for you to plug into. And when you sit in a cafe, you know that Rambo has sat there, or Hemingway has had dinner there, or Joyce lives around the corner. And it does have an effect and you think, yes, this is, what, this is what culture is. This is the power of culture. And especially in the light of recent events in Paris, uh, this is why Paris is so important. It's about culture. It's a, and it's our culture as well as the French culture. We're all part of it. It's, it's a, a cultural war that's going on. Every time I'm in Paris, I, I'm, I'm reminded of that. I'm Warren Connell, the Arts Officer in Leash County Council, and I was very fortunate last August to spend a month in the Sans Culture Lille Londay on a language programme. So it was lang- a language scholarship that was offered to people working in media and the arts. And out of my magnificent experience, the opportunity came up in conversation with Nora, the director of the Sons, about the possibility of opening it up to artists in the Midlands region. So together with my colleagues in, Le- in Offaly, Longford, Westmeath and Leash, uh, we have come together to offer a scholarship to an artist from our county to go to the Sons for a month. Uh, it's a busy place, the Centre. You know, there's a lot of activity going on there between students, the various artists and the various scholarships that are offered. So, so these are the, the side developments that happen. You went to improve your French, to renew your French, and yet the different counties in Ireland are now benefiting from your experience and your conversation in Paris with Nora Hickey, the director, and others. In this instance, we're strictly offering the residential, the flights, a little stipend as well for the artist to, to going out to visit for them for the month. They're free to a- apply for the uh, language bursary. That's a separate thing. Just to have the experience, to have your own place to stay, simple, uh, and everything on your on your doorstep. The opportunity to visit all the museums, the galleries, the concerts, the outdoor events in the in the parks. That ability to walk rather than having to constantly take the, the bus or the, or the car uh, to travel. Because, of course, when you are in a rural county, it, you know, it's so difficult to get around. And, of course, the diverse range of cultural menu that's available in Paris, I mean, that is just, it's, it's just a fantastic uh, opportunity and something to be, to be certainly sought after. I'm Olwen Fuere. I'm a performer, director, theatre maker... I have spent a lot of time working or bringing work to uh, the Centre Culturel Irlandais. I know Paris from when I was a child. Both my parents are Breton and lived in Paris. And, uh, but I, I didn't really visit for an awfully long time until the Centre was established. The first thing I would have done there would have been developing a new piece by Frank McGuinness, which he wrote for me. It was a great opportunity to, to work on it and did a work-in-progress showing. Uh, during the French... European presidency, the Culture France established this kind of program, Projet Tandem, 
where they funded uh, a number of projects which were a collaboration between a French artist and an artist from every European country. Sheila Prachke, who was then the director, approached me about uh, being the Irish artist to work with uh, a French director on a new piece. And out of that, we did the Paula Spencer, La Femme qui se cognait dans les portes, an adaptation of two books by Roddy Doyle. Uh, the Woman Who Walked Into Doors, plus Paula Spencer, the book which is about her 10 years later. And that was extremely successful. We did a lot of the development work there and then um, toured it around France and performed it in Paris in the Bouffe du Nord. So the Centre Culturel were sort of co-producers of that. Uh, I did a work in progress performance reading of uh, my one of my recent pieces, River Run, which is the voice of the river uh, in Finnegan's Wake. I was in the middle of the adaptation and the creation of that, and I did two performances in the in the center. I'm now going back in 10 days' time to work with the French writer Laurent Godet, who is a Prix Goncourt winner, a wonderful, wonderful writer who I happened to come across when I was in Paris. Uh, I came across one of his plays, which was just published. I was so taken by it that I got the rights for it the very next day, and it had its world premiere in English in Ireland produced by Rough Magic in association with my own company, The Emergency Room. It was called Sodom, My Love. The original title was Sodom, Madus. And it was really successful. And as a result of that, Laurent said to me he would love to work, us to work together again. So he's written this new piece, which is, it's weaving together aspects of my own history and my father's uh, political activism, but weaving it together with sort of the situation of the hunger strikers in Northern Ireland. So he's mixing it all that together. So I'm going over in 10 days' time to work with him further on the next draft. They're fine examples of the possibilities. What happens when you go to places like Paris, you yeah. meet people, you don't know what is going to, going to become of the conversations. Has that been very important to you as an artist? What I regret is that I've never... Because I'm not a visual artist or a writer, um, my work is very, very uh, unpredictable and uh, I need to be all over the place at the same time. And a performer doesn't have the same sort of freedom, really, to shut himself away for uh, three months like that. So I really envy them. And I say, why can't I do that? You know, but uh, it's my own fault. You know, I have to say no to a load of things. And then one of the things I feel very passionately about is that I feel that Irish culture is much closer in relation to European culture, much less than it is to English culture and American culture. And it, uh, I get really cross about it, actually, because I think we are missing this feed from Europe in, in our work. And the Centre Culturel has actually offered people that possibility of being there and being exposed to all, those, all the different variations of that. So I would like a lot more of that to happen because what's interesting, in Germany or in France or wherever you go, they're fascinated by Ireland and by Irish culture and by Irish art. We are not the same, and I've never understood why this is the case. I'm Mary O'Malley, and I was resident in the Irish College way back. I've gone back seven or eight times as a paying punter. I've written most of my last two collections of poetry, in Paris. The last one was begun on the Celtic Explorer and most of it written in Paris. Very, very necessarily it gave me that distance and fantastic conversations with artists from other genres. The constant companions I would say I had on that journey were the staff of the Irish College and Joyce and Beckett. You can't be in the Irish College and not see those two somehow feel them constantly as a writer. 
around you and then all of the French tradition as well, of course. There's an extraordinary collegiality that builds up over the years with that amazing privilege that you are there to work. That's what you're there for. You must have done residencies in other places. I did. European cities in European Mm. locations, maybe in other parts of the world. How has Paris been different to other residencies? There were two areas that influenced me hugely. One was civic space, the particular French articulation of the need and the position of civic space. So the notion of the civic probably arising from that developed, really, for me. And uh, also the gradual kind of filling in of gaps between French literature and French visual culture, I would call it, from the Louvre to the various galleries that I visited regularly, but also discourse, the kind of particular philosophical bent of French conversation, which, you know, is not quite like it is here. Um, That was hugely important to me. I found an interesting thing happened in Paris in the Centre, You talk to other artists in ways that you perhaps, uninhibited ways, you mightn't have done at home. And that's hugely important. It became a sort of crucible. For example, I have poems that are directly linked into uh, the work of artists that were there at the time. And I've spoken to several other people, both composers. I was there with composers, with painters. Artists such as Maud Cotter, whom I've a poem after her work, Alwyn Ferreira, the actor. Marina Carr. I got to know Marina properly, probably in Paris. And a conversation began there that has continued ever since and continues now in Shakespearean workshops at the Abbey many, many years later. And that was poet Mary O'Malley on her relationship with the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris. To put a context on how the centre transitioned from its centuries-old role as a place of learning for a large collegiate community of Irish priests, seminarians and lay scholars into a contemporary centre for Irish culture and the arts, I spoke with its inaugural director, Helen Carey. When she took up the role, she had most recently been artistic director of the Galway Arts Centre. I asked her what interested her about her new role as its director. What interested me at the time was getting to know more about contemporary Ireland. And actually one of the best ways of doing that, I think we all might agree, is the view from abroad. So going abroad and looking at Ireland and almost like a chocolate box, really selecting from that menu as Ireland was going through that change from um, coming into the, the, the 2000s and then Celtic Tigerdom, if you like, was a fascinating sort of selection vista. Tell me about what you inherited, if you like, when you when you went to Paris, the, the, the Irish yeah. College going through this process of change to become yeah. a cultural centre. Um, it was a chrysalis and there had been a lot of really remarkable people involved in sustaining the Irish element of the Irish College over the years and I'd like to mention somebody like Liam Swords who catalogued really the Irish in Paris up to that point where the Irish College had been through many iterations of you know their relationship to France the relationship to Ireland and also Poland so when I arrived it was the building site I think to call it dramatised in terms of its sort of past going into its future is not overstating it but what was very clear was that there was a beautiful butterfly about to emerge and 
if you can imagine me with my suitcase at the big door <laughs> waiting to go in to you know work with this um, nascent butterfly not without its difficulties because the Irish College would have occupied a very specific place for the Irish community and also for the French relationship with what it had to offer the Irish College was really the brainchild in many ways of Napoleon so we are going back into sort of hardcore French approaches to what the Irish culture should be because it's joint Franco-Irish kind of uh, governance. So there was very definitely a need to move it from a romantic Irish position, both from the Irish community who were there, as well as the French view of Ireland, into something that was more modern, that had a, a different view of Ireland, a different view that Ireland had of itself to be communicated both to the French and the Irish and actually crucially to a wider Europe because that in fact the Irish College has always been part of a network that had uh, tentacles outside of Paris. I presume as well that there was a, if you like, a, a very strong Roman Catholic ethos given the history um, of, of the college. Well yes but in contemporary Irish terms that was changing mm. and we were very clear that it was a secular activity. It had to be. And actually, the activity of it in the spirit of France, if you like, was really important. Now, you can go back into the French Revolution and look at jurist and non-jurist activities and how you define what a, a state should be or what a church should be or what the citizen is. We were very much about the citizen. So the programme was very distinct from its past. Having said that, the armature of a church, of a chapel in there, with all of the uh, past and the richness that that brought. Very beautiful chapel. Very beautiful. You you couldn't, and I use the word advisedly, as divorce from the past just in one fell swoop. It was really important to um, bring it along with us because it does inform our present and future. So it, it was a challenge undoubtedly to almost reinvent what the Irish College could be. And I suppose it's easiest said in that the Irish College became the Centre Culturel Yolande rather than the Irish College. Uh, how conscious were you of the, you know, the precedent of, of the Irish in Paris, that great history from yeah. Joyce to Beckett and further back indeed to, to people like Wolf Tone? One of the strands that was really important for me because I'm a history graduate was to include history. So we would have had inquiries such as looking backwards, looking forwards, cult of personality, the idea of 68, May 68 in Ireland and France and, and different types of historical inquiries where we looked at the history of France and the history of Ireland as different sides of a coin and that was extremely rich. How important were the, the beginnings if you like those early years and those I suppose again touchstone decisions mm-hmm. in the early days in terms of establishing the centre and yeah. making sure that it, it would grow into what you wanted? One of the key things was that most of the practitioners in the arts who came to work in the uh, were had some relationship with France. And from the beginning, we, we tried to deepen those relationships and provide a context where they could thrive. This probably was quite uh, narrow, if you like, in terms of Irish culture to begin with. But in many ways, it was really important to embed us in um, existing relationships rather than come as a showcase. And maybe that's something that has allowed 
things to become wider in due course. But at the beginning, the conversation that we were having was between France and Ireland, and that conversation had to be two ways. So, for example, we would uh, programme French practitioners alongside Irish practitioners, start to make not comparisons, more or less the dialogue of how things are done differently interculturally. For example, we had a a Franco-Irish choir and the training in the singing in the Irish sense was informal and and vernacular, whereas the training in the French sense was formal and very rule-based. So when you mix those together in terms of putting a choir together, you're creating all of the elements for intercultural dialogue, both dissonant and assonant within that. That lends to great understanding, but not without its difficulties. So I suppose if you want to talk about the beginnings, they were not without difficulties. What would you say were the biggest challenges? Presumption and the idea that uh, you know something until you dig down into it. So you find yourself programming something where there have been very kind of rudimentary misunderstandings at the beginning because they're based on cultural difference that you just don't know about. So you find out, say, for example, in theatre, if you have a programme that everyone signs up to, but they don't really understand the terms of it, your outcome after six months of discussion, you're kind of thinking, oh, day one, that mistake was made. So it was a learning curve. You mentioned uh, the Franco-Irish Choir there. I presume that there must have been other projects that mm. were challenging yeah. and, and then some that were really exciting and <laughs> exhilarating for you. Well, the challenging ones were, were exciting and exhilarating as well. And uh, there was one project we did with the uh, Théâtre du Radeau and Owen Fuere and Michael Harding. And this was in the context of the celebration at the centenary of Samuel Beckett's birth, where we were working also with the um, Pierre Chabert and just the city of Paris, who were celebrating Beckett. And of course, there's the tussle over who owned Beckett, which was <laughs> under, under, under writing everything that we did. So the Théâtre de Rado was a very experimental theatre group, and Owen and Michael are marvellous practitioners. That was difficult because they were looking for uh, how to pay homage to Samuel as they would say. And at the same time, you had different methodologies and different ideas and collaborations off-site and on-site. And in the end, what it was was taking the device of Beckett as an intercultural figure and realising that there wasn't necessarily a formula here. And just that experimentation and process was actually the point. But that would have been like nights of tearing your hair out and like, you know, crises, all the all the fun and games. Very rich, though. The French language then, um, obviously central to so much um, in, in your work. I wonder what influence did it have on the atmosphere of the centre, on, on your work? And did you notice then it, <laughs> the language having an impact uh, on the work of the artists yeah. from Ireland who came to spend time there? Yes, um, it was very important for the French to feel that you could uh, converse with them in, in French because they're very proud of their language, but there's also a proper way of speaking French. And I don't mean that in any kind of pejorative sense. I mean, it's, you have to speak it pro- correctly. It was really interesting for me to start to realise that there were other ways 
inner word of communicating that you understood and not just like literally but in nuance so the tenses and how you phrase things you had to be quite careful about and learn about and I found it very challenging and very rewarding to kind of almost up my game a register by thinking about you know how you how you phrase things and actually that infects the way you use your own language and you do realize that you know you're constructing a whole sense of communication that has cultural significance we had an irish class and french people would take that that class was always full french people would take that and would be speaking would be really anxious to learn irish but interesting so did other nationalities so we had sort of swedish learning irish alongside french from an irish speaker in the song so language to be honest became one of those tools in a far more visceral way and of course the other thing is it's a glorious language French is a glorious language when you realise that you can talk about another sense like with feeling and sensitivities and all that I wonder then in your time what did you learn about how the French in general if one can say that you know view Ireland and Ireland's culture and yeah. and as was the contemporary arts of Ireland as well. The Son Culturel Hollandais gave a great platform to allow them to really dig into that and question it because prior to that there would have been showcases but the French are, are used to seeing things come and go so it would be a oh, year of Brazil or year of Portugal or something like this. So when you had something like the Irish Cultural Centre where it had people actually living there that there was almost a curiosity about how how we live, if you like. And when contemporary artists came over, what was very clear was that there were pre-existing, as we were saying earlier, pre-existing connections. Showcasing those in Paris to an audience that might not be aware of them, once you connected it to a contemporary French phenomenon, there was like, oh, I didn't realise you Irish people did this too, from the conventional audience, if you like. And it was always a you know a source of great pride to me to have people realise that the inquiry of Irish artists was actually really contemporary, profound, and, and had all of the hallmarks of of the present. You mentioned the the advantage of distance in terms of uh, a perspective on on Irish yeah. life. Just personally, you know, the, the the ability to see things in a new light from another country. Yeah. You know, what do you think you learned about? <laughs> Irish culture, about Irish life, uh, from that perspective. Interestingly, I think it's probably connected to the reason I left Paris, which was that the view from abroad, where you could actually see, particularly say in visual, contemporary visual arts, you could see and feel that there was a change of foot in the early 2000s, 2004, five, that uh, there was a confidence growing and that there was something that was, you had to kind of, find out more about because legitimately to program say visual arts in Paris that was about contemporary Ireland not being in contemporary Ireland you could kind of really be out of touch and I felt that there was something really interesting happening in Ireland that I wanted to be part of and I don't know that I would have seen that quite so clearly had I not been seeing it from abroad. Uh, Irish people 
now looking at Ireland have, I mean, there's a lot of talk around diaspora. And actually, I think that there's a very real um, sense of reality um, that can be tapped into from a distance that helps to keep perspective. And what was very clear for me was that Ireland was changing, that there were developments that were very exciting on the island, that there were implications around um, when you're on the island of Ireland, you're not necessarily narrowly focused on Ireland, that it is international from within. I think also there was um, just a, a, a sense that rigor, very real decision making when you're dealing in two cultures or in many cultures, that uh, becomes more acute and more highly developed. Um, and I felt when I came back to work in Ireland, that was something that I could bring from my experience abroad, particularly in curating and programming uh, arts events, that I could bring to bear on, on projects that I had working here. It's kind of quite a privilege to work in Paris for Ireland. And in many ways, it's like you have to come home and make good on that opportunity and bring all the opportunities that, that have been presented abroad back to the understanding of here. And that osmosis is possibly one of the reasons why it was set up in the first place. That was Helen Carey. Sheila Pratchka became the second director of the Cultural Centre when composer Siobhan Cleary spent time in Paris. She told me about her relationship with the city before taking up a residency there. Well, I mean, as a composer, you, you work a lot in isolation. And I've been living in the countryside in Boyle. I decided I needed a bit of sort of urban stimulation and culture. <laughs> so I decided to apply to, to Paris. I mean, I spent a lot of time in, in Paris before in the in the 1990s. I used to go over to study with Tom Johnson, the great minimalist uh, composer. You know, I was very familiar with, with Paris, but this was an opportunity to go over and stay for a full three months. And did you have the French language, for instance, to Well, to I had, work with? I had a, a fair bit of French, yeah. And read your way around. <laughs> and read well. my way, yeah. 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 Um, a lot of people, a lot of artists talk about a particular almost energy that comes out of Paris. And I wonder, is, is there something like that there, for you? There's definitely an, an energy. And I think, I mean, you know, part of it is, is, is history. There's so much history. And I mean, you're walking the streets of, you know, Balzac and the, like all the, the French composers. And it, it just it seems that all that... That energy and that sort of historical memory is feeding in. Like the, there, there's all sorts of music. Say there's the ensemble into contemporary and in Ercam, beautiful organ recitals in in Saint Sulpice. You know, so you know you have the whole gamut from you know medieval music to very very cutting edge stuff. What practical support did your residency provide for you? Well, we, we all received a stipend, you know, that's very helpful. It meant that we were able to to look after ourselves, feed ourselves, you know, buy cheap tickets to, to things. So, I mean, it, really what it did was that it provided us with an opportunity just to devote ourselves to our, our work, whatever we were working on, you know, without having to think of sort of practical things that you would, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Did you have uh, a routine, if you like? Did, did, did you have a work routine that was no. pretty <laughs> unvaried? Or did you, no. like a lot of people, find the shape 
as it as it took shape? I think it just took shape. No, I mean a, a routine was impossible yeah. because then everything every, every day was different, uh, different opportunities would arise. But having said that, I mean I actually wrote an awful lot. Mm. I composed an awful lot. You know, I think I was probably more prolific in those three months than I have ever been before or since. I worked on three different things. The first was a piece for the National Chamber Choir, which was a commission for, uh, it was directed by by Paul Hillier. Mm. It was based on tongue twisters and to make it even more difficult, I took tongue twisters from minority languages, such as Basque, Occitan, Cornish, just to really stretch them. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. And I think Paris really feeded into that because of, uh, you know, so it's, it's so multi- multicultural. That was one thing you did. Two I others also, you'd mentioned. I also finished uh, my opera. I was, I was working on an opera for six years. <laughs> and so, I mean, the three months gave me the opportunity actually to, to finally finish it. The opera was called Jack Ashore and was based in 1880s uh, London uh, around the time of the Jack the Ripper killings. And what, what was, I was sort of exploring was the idea of um, like all the, the, the people who, who lived there at the time, say Oscar Wilde, Ellen Terry, Sickard, a Whistler, and they all hung around together um, and they they saw it as sort of like an exhibition, like a voyeurism type thing. And also the Elephant Man is also a character. So just like there was, it just seemed like a very, very interesting time, um, but a very disturbing time also. It was very, very dark material a lot of the time, um, but there was a lot of humour as well, especially like, you know, Whistler and Oscar Wilde. I mean, you just took what they said for Batum and used it. Yeah. And of course, again, Whistler and Wilde, while especially a strong association with, with Paris, I mean, even though you were working in Paris, yeah, London well, wasn't I, that I far think away. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there was that connection. What then was it, Was your third piece that you worked on? The, the, the third piece there? was, um, I was actually working with Jeremiah Cullinan, the documentary maker, filmmaker, and he was he was working on a documentary about uh, Lithuanian book smugglers in the 19th century. <laughs> OK, sounds very obscure. Based around the 18, 1860s, 1870s, it was a time of um, when they were trying to make Lithuanian more more Russian and they were banning Lithuanian books. They, a lot of the Lithuanian children mostly, like, you know, teenagers, they took it upon themselves to smuggle books in. So, so I suppose, again, actually, it's very interesting, shades of, of Irish history in terms of, of language and the survival of language exactly. in the face of a and, dominant language. And, and the documentary was actually in Irish. So, yeah, again, it's about, you know, protecting your, your, your language. And I, th- I mean, I think you have a pretty uh, passionate attachment to the Irish language yourself. I do, I, certainly, yeah. And uh, did, I, that, did that filter in at all to the, to the work you were doing on, on tongue twisters and minority oh, languages? Well, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there is one of them that one of the tongue twisters is in is in Irish. Tongue twisters are intrinsically mm. musical. Mm. Um, so I had very, very little work to do. What the, the way I approached it was, was like I carry the tongue twister around in my head, just repeating mm. it, constantly repeating it. Eventually, the music suggested itself. I mean, it was a very, very fun piece to, to, to work on. And I know the National Chamber Choir really enjoyed it. I mean, I, they, they were cursing me at first. They really were. But uh, they, they got into the spirit of things. So. Um, you must have met other artists from different disciplines then when you were uh, in the Centre, presumably in Paris in general. But how did you interact with them? And did other work 
emerge from that? At the residency, there were two other people. There was Gina Moxley, the actor and really splendid playwright. And there was Sean Lynch. So I was so fortunate to have these very, very talented people. And we all got on extremely well. Also, Monk and McCann was there for some time. So there was a lot of chatting and debate and so- socialisation as well. So, yeah, I think all of that feeded into to, into the work I was doing now. Because I, I think looking back on it, the work I did there has an awful lot of energy. <laughs> so You went on, I know, after your residency there to programme a music uh, weekend marking the first decade uh, mm. of the Centre Culturel Irlandais. What was that experience like? And, and, and what did you take from it uh, f- for your own work into the future? That was made possible by uh, Sheila Prachka. It was her foresight, really, and her openness to, to have such an event. She was the director when I was there. And I, I think during my residency, I was always pestering her to, to go on, put on a music, music concert of Irish composers. But what she offered was three days of music concerts by Irish composers. I was able to programme music by 16 Irish composers all of which they'd never been performed in France before. So there, the three concerts were all very, very well attended, very, very well received. The The irony is that we, like in, in Ireland, we haven't had such a festival yeah. devoted to Irish composers. I don't know, I think it's something that we don't need to be shying away from. Mm-hmm. What are your most vivid memories of of the time you spent there and the working atmosphere that obviously seemed very conducive to what you were doing. I remember going to a lot of concerts, going to a lot of theatre, going to a lot of dance. One example in particular that stands out was the avant-garde uh, theatre, the Théâtre du Sly, which was such a wonderful experience. It really was. That really informed my work, um, especially with the, the tongue twisters. I mean, you know, it's really, yeah, you can push the boat out a bit here. But I don't really remember all the work I did. And, and, and I know, like, I, I produced an awful lot, but I have no memory of sitting at the desk. What it is, is like, it's a, a contemporary or modern way of patronage. We're always asked to be doing something else. So even just to have that experience, even for three months, I think it really is very, very beneficial. That was an excerpt from Siobhan Cleary's composition Theophilus Thistle and the myth of Miss Muffet, which she composed while on an artist residency programme in Paris at the Irish Cultural Centre. Yvonne Ferguson, director of the Contemporary Music Centre, has been keen to build links with the Cultural Centre in Paris. 
even from the outset of the residencies many, many years back, there was a very big interest from contemporary composers from Ireland and the, music, the Contemporary Music Centre represents over 200 composers north and south. We're an all-Ireland organisation. The composers would have been very, very interested in going to Paris, experiencing the musical life there and collaborating with French contemporary musicians, uh, French contemporary composers and indeed to mix with other artists that are there at the same time um, as them during the residencies and that has led to lots of cross collaborations as well and lots of networking and contacts um, for new work over the years. I think Ed Bennett from Bangor was possibly one of the first um, composers that availed of the residencies and uh, subsequently Siobhan Cleary and Greg Caffrey and many many others. Those residencies themselves have also led to added value projects over the years where possibly composers are invited back to curate concerts or small festivals in celebration of anniversaries or to generally uh, contribute to the programming of of events uh, and elements at the Centre Cultural Irlandais. But this year, um, in 2015, in preparation for 2016, which is the 30th anniversary of the foundation of the Contemporary Music Centre, the current director of the Centre Cultural Irlandais, Nora, had a wonderful idea that she would like to set up very specific residencies, I suppose ring-fence some time, ring-fence some budget with resources organisations for specific sectors but that really came out of the fact that there was a huge um, quantity and the quality of applications from Irish composers so I think Nora thought to herself my I have all these applications from composers from Ireland they are of huge high quality wonderful ideas for residencies wonderful ideas for collaboration that's where we came in and uh, we were really delighted with the idea to be able to offer a residency specifically for composers who are registered with the Contemporary Music Centre. It's a month-long residency. In 2016, it will start with Greg Caffrey, who was awarded that. Uh, Greg will have his residency in January in 2016. And for us, it's a fitting celebration of the 30th anniversary of the Contemporary Music Centre because we have had, over the years, lots of international projects and we are the Irish uh, representative of the International Association of Music Information Centres as well. So we have have been the the voice internationally telling the story of Irish contemporary music um, as far and as wide as we possibly um, could have over the years. So we're really thrilled that uh, we have this very special residency with the Centre Cultural Lendez, specifically for composers who are registered with the Contemporary Music Centre. And because we are an all-island body, and that is also uh, very much the ethos of the Centre Cultural Iran days. It was quite a, a natural fit and so Nora and I felt it was a, it, that was, you know, we could we could really work together to ensure that um, composers from right across the island and of course Irish composers that are based outside of the island now as, as well have this opportunity to really experience uh, what is such a wealth of musical experience in Paris. Both organisations provide the opportunity for the composer to live there for a month to travel so all expenses are covered to enable the composer to really just focus on the creative output of what they want to achieve you know with the all the recession and cutbacks that have been in the arts over the last number of years residencies like this don't happen without an infrastructure behind them without a director in the Centre Cultural Irlandais without a representative
representative body, uh, all island body for composers uh, from the island. Ideas can take shape. We're all building on a partnership and using the means that we have, be they small uh, as they are, to pool our resources uh, to enable something like this to happen. was Yvonne Ferguson, director of the Contemporary Music Centre, followed by an excerpt from Pluck Blow 2, the return by Greg Caffrey, who takes up a residency in the Centre Culturelle Irlande in January, supported by the Contemporary Music Centre. Nora Hickey-Michelli is the current director of the Centre Culturelle Irlande. There's a very large doorway into the centre and when you, quite a heavy door, when you push the door into it, most of the time you see this courtyard uh, bathed in sunlight. So it is like a a haven, a little paradise in the centre of Paris. So what kinds of art activities happen there you know what artists come and is it is it all artists from Ireland who who, who come to visit or, or is there art made if you like in situ in from people based in France? Predominantly artists travelling from Ireland. Um, we receive funding from Culture Ireland and the Department of Foreign Affairs to present work. If I think of uh, one of our most recent events, Paris Photo, um, we opened an exhibition by the photographer Tom Wood. 500 people attended and those were predominantly photographers, uh, programmers, curators. Most of our events sell out. Important that it's the right people who are coming as well and that the work um, presented by Irish artists is seen by, by programmers, that there's there's some kind of long-term benefit as well. So it's not just a, a one-off happening, one-off event, but that there's that artists will have the chance to present their work elsewhere. It's a showcase of Irish work. Tom Wood is known uh, primarily as a street photographer. He's known for his Merseyside uh, photographs. And uh, in this case, his we're showing Irish landscapes. It's a huge pressure on me to show uh, beautiful, romantic, wonderful Irish landscapes and I've resisted I have to say for a long time and in this case I'm now showing work by an artist associated with Liverpool and street photography but we're showing his his mostly unseen Irish landscapes. There's been a wonderful response of course. To, and to are, the, they, are they beautiful landscapes? They are. There are some uh, though that were taken during the boom times and some post-boom times of as you can imagine ghost estates as well. So a strong reflection of reality too. Exactly. Who are the the audiences, uh, Nora? I mean, is is it mainly uh, French people who are interested in Ireland uh, or do you you get a fair spattering of of Irish people who are living in in Paris who come along? We're visited by by people who've been travelled to Ireland or who have a grow for Ireland and they come looking for, I suppose there's a very special atmosphere as well in the centre. There's a warmth. Um, it is a, a haven of some sort. But you've also people who come for Fête de la Musique, for example. We really made a mark as a, as a destination for Fête de la Musique. This year we had 9,000 people who came to the centre over five hours. Fête de la Musique is, is basically National Music Day and there's music everywhere throughout France. 
I, I know that we've tried uh, in Ireland to to have a, to do something similar. It hasn't quite taken off in the way it, it has in in France, but uh, then. And it's... what music and what musicians did you have this so year? So this year we had we had Buka Brass Band, Young Folk, Zoe Conway, and John McIntyre, and Lisa Hannigan, and then collaborations between the different acts, which I think worked very well. Rue des Irlandais was swamped, and we had to wait for the crowds to dissipate before we opened the doors again. Interestingly enough, we've presented, for example, the gloaming in the past at Fête la Musique. And I know programmers who have attended Fête la Musique, for example, one from the Philharmonie. And now we've just confirmed a date for the gloaming um, in the Philharmonie, which is the equivalent of the National Concert Hall in Paris, two, two and a half thousand seater venue for the gloaming in 2017, which is what we're about as well. There has to be, it's it's not just, uh, we have to create, uh, create opportunities for the artists. And an enlarging of landscapes yes. as well and possibilities. Um, the centre has been running uh, these artistic residencies for over thirteen years, and I, you know, you celebrated that recently with many of the artists uh, who gone there over the years taking part in an event in Dublin. What's the purpose of, of that programme? I mean, can you tell me a little bit about it and, and how it works? We've just opened our call for applications. Um, it'll close in, in early January, which we do every year. So for the 13 years we've been open as an art centre, we've um, had this as a, a core part of our activity, this residency programme. So artists come and create work in the centre. It's um, an opportunity really to, to give them space and time to create Create. It's really important that we're not just a receiving venue, but that we're also creating work in response to to Paris and and just to that idea of removing yourself, being at a distance from from maybe where you're where, where you're normally based. I think that's a really healthy thing. So it mightn't necessarily be that people respond directly to Paris. Many do. I think of many artists. In fact, at the moment we have Paddy Bush, poet, with us, who's writing about works that he's viewing in the Louvre and many of the the museums and galleries. We also um, commission work and we're recently we had a, an exhibition What Have We Got It Wrong? It was called It Was All About Climate Change with four new commissions. So some of those commissions were by artists who were, who were on a residency in the centre. My ambition for that residency programme is, is to increase the number of residencies. So we've been able to partner a number of organisations in Ireland. So the Contemporary Music Centre, Music Network, Design um, and Craft Council of Ireland, um, who've come on board for a second year. And now this year we have new organisations, Dance Ireland, Words Ireland, and a number of arts offices in the country, which means we're they match fund the residencies, which means we're able to offer more residencies because obviously they're meeting other artists, other Irish artists who are based in the centre. So, for example, um, at the moment, I, I just spoke to Gina Moxley, who was with us uh, just as a performing artist uh, and she was talking about her time with Sean Lynch who made work who was obviously represented Ireland in Venice this year and Gina did the voiceover they met in the Saint Culturel Yolande on that note Paddy Bush who's there at the moment uh, I saw him about a week or so ago looking a bit uh, dishevelled, should I say, in uh, mucky clothing. I thought, gosh, what's, what's, what's happening here? And it turns out he was creating an installation with our visual artist in residence, uh, Tom Watt. We've had uh, Philip Hammond, uh, composer in residence, who, who wrote a concerto for Mary Costello, who was co-resident, and many other, many other curious uh, collaborations and very fruitful ones as well. What drew you 
to apply for the position of, of director there? Is, is it something you'd wanted to do for a while? Was it the draw of Paris? Was for it the centre? For a very long time. It is um, before the centre even opened. I was sitting at the kitchen table with my father who was reading the paper and he put down his paper and he said, Nora, here's the perfect job for you. And it was actually the Sans Culturel Yolande. So that's some 15 years ago. And I said, it is the perfect job. 15 years later, here I am. How do you think it, it benefits Ireland to, to have this cultural centre in in the heart of Paris? Before I, I took up the job, I knew that part of the role was obviously to promote Irish arts and to create opportunities for Irish artists. What hadn't really occurred to me was the fact that Paris is such an international city and there are in fact 53 centres culturels from, from around the world. So down the road from us there's the Finnish uh, Institute, at the Hungarian Institute, Korean, Egyptian. And so this Centre Culturel Irlandais is part of a network of centres. So through my peers in the, in those centres, I have access to, to the world. The Finns are, are very strong on visual arts relating to climate change and the environment. So when we had our, our show um, looking at those issues, I invited the Finnish Institute to collaborate in some way. So we had um, a speaker, Ante Mayava, who travelled from Finland and chaired a discussion between the Irish art artists who were represented in the exhibition. And now this Finnish chair will actually take up a residency in Manor Hamilton um, in in 2016 in the Sculpture Centre in Manor Hamilton because um, about a third of the artists in our exhibition are based in Leitrim. That those conversations will continue and hopefully then uh, some of our Irish artists will travel to Finland. You could equally ask the question, why have an Irish cultural centre in Paris? Why not in London? Why not in an English-speaking environment? But I think certainly one of the reasons for me is the fact that, that it's part of this wider network. Nora Hickey bringing us up to date with the Centre Culturel Irlandais as it is under her stewardship. Finally, the late John McGarren was present at the opening launch of the Centre Culturel Irlandais. In this short excerpt, he introduces and reads an extract from his novel that they may face the rising sun that appropriately illustrates the historic links between Ireland and Ireland's colleges across Europe. I thought it was appropriate to read this small passage. Uh, I grew up in a little village called Coot Hall and that a football team called St. Michael's that played by the river, which often had high winds. And when um, they played mostly out of defence, and when a high-relieving clearance, a roar used to go up from the sidelines, Salamanca. And for me, for me growing up, it was just a, a mighty ball booted on the wind. But when I went away to Dublin, I learned that since Salamanca was the place where the boys went to study for the priesthood, uh, they went by horseback, by um, foot and fishing boat uh, to Salamanca. And like the Louvain and the Irish College in Paris. And it has uh, fascinated me always how that words like Salamanca, sometimes like people, have to go underground and live in disguises. And when um, a secondary school is opened in the town, it's a kind of playfully brought together, I hope. And this is uh, the passage uh, uh, where there was the beginning of the possibility of education that was made available to everybody by uh, Mr O'Malley in the 1960s was just beginning in the 1950s. A secondary school was opened by the brothers in the town. The word Salamanca, having endured for most of a century as a mighty ball booted on the wind out of defence in Charlie's Field, grew sails again on an open sea 
became distant spires within a walled city in the sun. Race memories of hedge schools and the poor scholar were stirred as boys like uncertain flocks of birds on bicycles came long distances from the villages and outlying farms to grapple with calculus and George Gordon and the delta of the River Plate. There you heard the late John McGarren reading from his novel That They May Face the Rising Sun at the official opening of the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris back in 2002. And further information on its programming calendar and artist residencies can be found on the Centre Culturel Irlandais website. On next week's Arts Tonight, Straw, Hay and Rushes in Irish folk tradition with Anne O'Dowd and other contributors. Join us then. Until then, goodbye. Arts Tonight is presented by Vincent Woods and produced by Cleon and the Onloon.